Awesome. So if you want to follow along, I think it's a great idea because this morning we are actually not just going to talk. We are going to go through scripture by scripture in a sermon that Jesus actually preached. Um, And I'm very excited about it, but I want to let you know if you are new to our church, you can download the Bible app. And if you search under events, there is a live event that we create every single week that will keep our notes on there until the next Sunday. So you can actually go in there, make your own notes, you can follow along, or if you've got a Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to open it up this morning, because there's something really powerful when we actually read for ourselves, where we feed off of the Word ourselves. And you can also save it so that you can make some notes. Two weeks from now, three weeks from now, you might need this message again. (laughs) Okay, so I want to encourage you with that. So this morning, I really want to talk about the upside-down kingdom. The upside-down kingdom. And I've said to Johannes, I've had this in my heart for the last three weeks. I feel like when I wake up, when I go to bed, I hear this phrase, the upside-down kingdom. And when we look back at Jesus, and we look at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, almost forgot the fourth one, Johannes, the book from Johannes, okay, when you look at what Jesus preached, Jesus preached on the kingdom of God. Everything that he spoke about, everything that he taught about was about the kingdom of God. And so this is a message that for Johannes and I, we feel like God has really been birthing this inside of us before we even came to Namibia. And he's continuously working with us and breaking it open for us because we are really searching the Lord. We are really seeking him to understand how must we live out this vision of a kingdom community. Okay, Living Word's vision, when Neville's vision was to establish a loving Bible-based kingdom community. It's important to understand if you are going to be part of our community that we are not just going to be a church that gathers on Sunday and drinks lacquer coffee. That's going to be absolutely part of it. We love coffee. In fact, you can pray for me and Johannes. I think I'm slightly addicted. Okay, but the reality is we're not here just to play. We are here to establish a kingdom community. But that's a beautiful vision to have, but how do we actually get there? How... Do we practically work it out? How do we see the kingdom established in the nation of Namibia, in the city of Vintuk, in our homes, in our schools, in our community? So what is the kingdom of God? Johannes spoke about it, I think, just before Easter. The New Testament actually records that phrase, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, over 130 times. And over 100 times of that, was in Jesus' sermons, in Jesus' teachings himself. So he's the one that taught on the kingdom the most. So that's why I think we should really pay attention. Number one, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in our lives. Okay, when you do a study of a kingdom and kingdom dynamics, when we speak of a kingdom, we know that a kingdom has to have a king. I mean, otherwise it's not really a kingdom. A kingdom has a king, and the king is the one that is lord, that is governor, that reigns and rules in that realm of his kingdom. Amen? So that is the foundation of that is the kingdom. When we speak about the kingdom of God, God is the king. Jesus is the king of that realm. Okay? And that's number one. Number two, the kingdom of God is also the kingdom that is inside of our hearts. 
Okay, the kingdom of God is a, is a big topic, so we're not going to go into the definition as much this morning, but it's important for me to still establish that. The kingdom of God is in our hearts, but the kingdom of God also in the context that we're going to read, we're just going to spend time in the book of Matthew this morning, but the kingdom of God also referred to Jesus coming to earth to establish his rule and reign also on the earth, in our hearts, but also on the earth, and also in the future to come. You know, the Bible also speaks about the kingdom is both now and then. Who's ever wondered what that means? It can be a bit confusing. The kingdom is both now. In other words, if you are a child of God, the king lives on the inside of you. His kingdom is inside of you. But the kingdom is also then. Upon Jesus' second return, he will come and he will establish a new heaven and a new earth. His millennial kingdom where we as believers, those who have actually believed in Jesus Christ, became a disciple, we will actually rule and reign in his kingdom with him for eternity. Does that make sense this morning? So that is the kingdom both now and then. But you know, when we start reading the gospels, we see that there was actually an introduction for the kingdom of God. John the Baptist that strange guy in the wilderness, he was actually Jesus' cousin. He was called by the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and those kind of um, prophetic guys, called him. Do we need to close the door? You guys are a bit cold. Um, we can just maybe close that door just a little bit at the back. John the Baptist came and we see in Matthew that the Bible actually calls him a voice in the wilderness. The one who prepares the way for the king. I've never also done this. The one that prepares him. Sorry. Hold on one second. Okay. The one that prepares for the king to come. And I want us to read in Matthew 3 verse 1 to 2. And I'm going to read from the Amplified today because you'll see why. It's very important to understand the terminologies that we're going to talk about this morning. So you can turn to Matthew 3 and in verse 1 it says, In those days... John the Baptist appeared, preaching in the wilderness of Judea along the western side of the Dead Sea. And so this was the message that John the Baptist started preaching. He said, repent. Everyone say, repent. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, and live your life in a way that proves repentance. See God's purpose for your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was the message of John the Baptist, whom the prophets like Isaiah called a voice in the wilderness preparing the way for the king. Why was this so important for John to establish the fact that people need to understand repentance is the first thing that is necessary for you to enter into the kingdom? This was very important because in John's time, the people, the Pharisees, the uh, Sadducees, the Jewish remnant, the Jewish people of that time actually believed that God was going to send a ruler, a man ruler with a kingdom that was going to give them a new government that was going to destroy the Roman Empire and that was going to bring them some type of deliverance in the natural. But they were not expecting a spiritual kingdom on top of that. And they thought that because they were born in, you know, the lineage of Abraham, 
that they would actually automatically receive salvation because of their inheritance of Abraham. And Jesus comes and he's coming with a spiritual kingdom that does not actually work the way that they think it will work. So John starts teaching and starts introducing the Jews to this new messianic kingdom. They had a different idea of who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would actually come and do. So this new teaching of repentance was very strange to them. And, you know, many people were actually very offended at John's teaching. And they, it was very hard for them to accept. What does that word repentance actually mean? I don't actually think we speak enough of repentance in the church. Because I think we fear the same thing that people are not going to like what we are saying. Because everyone wants to hear a message about how God loves them. And absolutely, that's the first and probably the most important message we need to preach always. But here is important. This is what Jesus preached also. Without repentance, there is actually no entry into the kingdom of God. And what does repentance mean? Okay. The Greek word is, and this is also in the version notes, metanuio. Okay, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but meta means after, and the second part of that word actually means to think. So repentance is actually a decision that we make. Remember, God has given us free will. Okay, God will never force us into the kingdom. He's actually a God of love that gives free will, and we have to make a decision whether we want to gain access to that kingdom. So repentance is a decision that results in a change of mind. And when the mind is changed, it leads to a change of purpose and action. A decision that shows a change of mind. So repentance is the first call to the kingdom. And without it, there is no birth or entry into the kingdom of Jesus. And I want to read you Matthew 3. If you just go down a couple of verses in verse 8 and 9... So what now happened is that John the Baptist is baptizing people. So people that have listened to his message, that were convicted, yes, we need to repent. We want to gain access to this new kingdom. But then the Bible says the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were the religious leaders of the day. They were the ones thinking that they will automatically gain salvation into this new kingdom because of their Jewish heritage. And they want to be baptized. And this is what, I love how the Bible is just so straightforward. It's not even sugarcoated. Verse 8. So this is John the Baptist telling the Pharisees that actually I'm not going to baptize you. Because you must produce fruit that is consistent with repentance. In other words, you must demonstrate new behavior that proves a change of your heart. Okay, repentance means I've actually made a willful decision. I'm walking in a new direction, and there must be fruit in my life of change. If there is not, then we must ask ourselves the question, have I actually made a decision to turn from my old life and walk into a new life? That is the reality, and this is not a popular message that I'm preaching this morning. I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's what, that's what Jesus taught. It says, you must demonstrate new behavior that proves a change of heart and a conscious decision to turn away from sin. And then he tells them, because he knew it was in their hearts also, do not presume to say to yourselves as a defense, we have Abraham for our father. So our inheritance assures us of salvation. 
And I remember growing up thinking really the similar thing of what he was saying to the religious leaders of the day. I thought that because I grew up in a Christian home, my parents were not Satanists. Okay, My parents were not in the occult. They were not doing anything. They believed in Jesus. There were Bibles in our home. We went to a traditional church on Sundays. We had a Sunday morning activity. So I thought growing up, that makes me, okay, you know, that makes me a citizen of the kingdom. But is that the truth? That is not the truth. If we don't actually make a conscious decision to turn away and understand and realize our need for a savior, we cannot assume that we, just like the Pharisees, because of our history, we can just walk in to the kingdom. It's not what the Bible teaches. And I believe so many Christians today actually believe they are kingdom citizens, but they've never made a decision. They've just assumed because I grew up in a church home and I went to a Sunday morning activity. But I love how Joyce Meyer says, just because you're inside of a garage, that doesn't mean you're a car. <laughs> okay? Just because you're in KFC, it doesn't make you a rounder burger. <laughs> okay? <laughs> no, it's on the list for a KFC rounder burger. So fast forward to Jesus' ministry. So Jesus then also gets baptized by John the Baptist. Um, he goes, the Spirit, Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness and he goes and he's being tempted by the enemy and he passes all the tests and then he goes out and he starts his public ministry in Galilee. Okay, and this is where we're going to pick up the story in Matthew 4 verse 17. And it says, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent, everyone say repent. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, and live your life in a way that proves repentance. And seek God's purpose for your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does that sound like the same sermon John the Baptist was preaching? And so... What I want to focus this morning on is this was the sermon that was preached. This was the message that Jesus chose to explain the kingdom that is at hand. Okay, now he's making himself known. He's starting to reveal to people that he is the king of the new kingdom. And this is what the new kingdom looks like. So from that back end, I want to focus on Jesus' longest and most profound teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. Who's ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount? I think everyone, really, if you've been in church, you've heard of the Sermon on the Mount. And what I said to Johannes, I've been begging him to give me three Sundays to talk through this. And so I got a green light. We're going to use three Sundays to talk through the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because Jesus didn't preach a 10-minute Sermon on the Mount. Okay, in fact, scholars actually believe that it was a couple of days that he took his time, and this is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus. And it stretches over Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. So today I'm only going to tackle a couple of things in Matthew 5, then we'll do some in Matthew 6, and we'll do some in Matthew 7. If we study them the way we should probably study them, we'll probably do it for the rest of the year. But Johannes probably also wants time to teach, so I'm just going to do three Sundays. And we are going to focus today on 
Matthew 5, the first part, the introduction of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus speaks about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. And what Jesus is explaining is that these are the values of my kingdom. In other words, when you repent, you decide to turn from your old life, you realize you need Jesus, and you want to be a part of his kingdom so that you can have eternal life forever, there is still a time where we have to live on the earth until he comes back. There's actually great direction for what we need to do and how we need to live as part of that kingdom that is now on the earth. Okay, so I'm going to ask the team to just play a quick short clip. Stefan, you can't for that light. Fung, and um, then we'll continue. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then? You are the salt of the earth. Short but powerful. Who loves the chosen? It's beautiful. I'm like, yo. When Jesus walks onto the scene, there has to be change. There just has to be. And so I just actually believe that repentance is not even this difficult decision. When you encounter the king and you see him looking at you, you cannot do anything else but surrender and say, yes, Jesus, I want to serve you for the rest of my life. He's that good. He's that amazing. He's that powerful. He's that loving. 
And so my prayer really this morning is that we will encounter a piece of the heart of the king this morning for us. Because when Jesus shared this message, he spoke to disciples, not just the 12 that were following him, but really anyone. The word disciple, as we've said before, actually means learner. And so when he saw the crowds gather, the Bible says, he started teaching them. And I thought this was funny because the Bible says in Matthew 5 that he sat down. And, you know, this, they say, scholars say that this area where he taught the Sermon on the Mount was actually like, a, like an amphitheater. And so there was a place for him to actually sit. And rabbis, Jewish rabbis of the day, whenever they would do teaching, they would sit down. And I heard one scholar say that actually when the rabbi would sit down, the people would stand up until he was finished with the sermon, because that was so that they wouldn't fall asleep. And I thought, wouldn't that be funny if we tried that one Sunday morning? So I sit down and you stand. Everyone's like, no, not when she's preaching. Okay, we won't try it. But so we're going to read through the Beatitudes this morning. And I want you to keep in mind this morning when we read through this, that this was actually an invitation by Jesus to come and live a life on earth, representing and reflecting the kingdom of heaven. So when he preached this, this was something that offended many people. Did you know Jesus offended many people? The message of repentance, the message of the kingdom of God offended many people because sometimes we love living in the world. And we are not actually willing to turn from the world to follow an upside-down kingdom. An upside-down kingdom means that this is something that is in complete contrast, complete opposite in terms of value, in terms of actions, in terms of everything than the world. It means it goes completely against my flesh. The flesh guys. Okay, it's completely counter-cultural. This was what he was teaching. And I believe for that day, it was actually a radical wake-up call for any disciple to actually make a conscious decision. Am I willing to follow the Messiah into this kingdom? Because it will mean giving up and sacrificing a lot, if not everything that I know. That is the reality. And you know what Johannes and I said from the beginning? We are not going to be a church that sugarcoats the gospel. Is there absolute blessing attached to this life? I believe that is what we're going to see this morning. There is no greater blessing than to live the life of a kingdom disciple on this earth. But in the eyes of the world, it will cost you. It will cost you on levels you don't even imagine. And I'm sure we can all attest to that. So I'm preaching to the converted this morning. So Jesus is giving us an invitation to come and live by grace and to experience his spiritual blessings if we live by his values. He's extending an invitation for us to come and live in complete contradiction to the world. Why? So that we are able to influence the world with the gospel of the kingdom. It is so that we are able to establish the kingdom on earth. We cannot establish the kingdom if we try and live like the world does. 
Amen. The word Beatitudes actually means supreme blessedness. How beautiful is that? Supreme, not just blessed, supreme blessedness. Okay? And the word blessed actually is a, an adjective that describes supremely blessed, a condition in which congratulations are in order. Oh, you're being persecuted. Congratulations. Congratulations. Oh, I, I need to read a scripture. I'll, I'll get to that. That I actually laughed at when I read the first time. Okay. It's a grace word that expresses, uh, expresses the special joys and satisfaction granted to the person who experiences their salvation. It's an inner joy, peace, and contentment that the world will never give. And as I was studying this again, I was just reminded of the power that sometimes even as Christians, we go and look for our fulfillment in the things of the world. We go and look for our fulfillment in money, in possessions, in, I don't know, hobbies, uh, sport, okay, whatever. But Jesus is saying, just follow what I've said here. It's just eight little thoughts. These are the kingdom values. And if you live by this, then you will experience supreme blessedness. It's just really that easy, but it's also not that easy. And so I pray that it will really encourage our hearts this morning. So why don't we read together in Matthew 5, verse 1 to 3. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And he began to teach them, saying, blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired are the poor in spirit. This is number one. We're going to talk through all eight this morning, if time allows, very quickly. Those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Verse 4. Blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace are those who mourn over their sins and repent, for they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. Blessed, inwardly peaceful, and spiritually secure. I'm just going to start again. Blessed, inwardly peaceful, spiritually secure, worthy of respect are the gentle, the kind-hearted, the sweet-spirited, the self-controlled, for they will inherit the earth. Okay, verse 6. <laughs> Blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who actively seek right standing with God, for they will be completely satisfied. Blessed, contained, sheltered by God's promises, are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Verse 8. Blessed, anticipating God's presence, spiritually mature, are the pure in heart, those with integrity, moral courage, and godly character, for they will see God. Blessed, spiritually calm with life, joy, and God's favor, are the makers and maintainers of peace. For they will express His character and be called the sons of God. Verse 10. We're going to keep going until verse 13. Blessed, comforted by inner peace and God's love, 
are those who are persecuted for doing that which is morally right. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven both now and forever. Blessed, morally courageous, and spiritually alive, with life joy in God's goodness, are you when people insult you and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of your association with me. Be glad and exceedingly joyful, for your reward in heaven is great, absolutely inexhaustible. How good is that? For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and walked on by people when the walkways are wet and slippery. You are the light of Christ to the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, so it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and moral excellence and recognize and honor and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Is that a powerful sermon or what? I don't think we actually need to add anything to that. But what I want to do is I want to, I made a list of those eight Beatitudes. Because I believe that those are the attitudes that Jesus wants us to have so that we can be salt and light and influence the world around us to establish his kingdom on the earth. Okay. So number one, it says the poor in spirit. When I first read that scripture, I actually thought that meant those who are poor and have no money. So I thought, okay, only the poor people are blessed, not those who maybe are not poor. But that's why I wanted to read the Amplified Version to you, because it, it explains the thoughts and the original intent of the language of the author, the Greek and the Hebrew, to understand exactly what was meant by the poor in spirit. It actually means that those of us who recognize in our spirituality how poor we are without Jesus. That is what that means. It means we recognize our desperate need for Jesus. And we cast aside the worldly values of self-dependence and self-confidence and self-reliance. Because in all of these, I want you to notice that there is a kingdom value that Jesus is explaining. And there is a worldly value that is in the complete opposite. And that's why Jesus says, you are blessed when you live with the kingdom value, not with the worldly value. And in this first one, who knows that the world tells us that you need to do it yourself. You know, it's all about you. It is all about you. You make yourself happy. You go and search for your happiness. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You are only blessed when you recognize how spiritually poor you are without me. And I love the message. The Message Bible says this, my gosh, where is it? You are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Really, I think the Beatitudes, all Jesus was teaching is less of you and more of me. And that's why I don't think this was a popular message. And it will probably not be a popular message today. 
Because if we want to live in the blessedness of the kingdom, we actually have to learn to die to self. I'm not getting a lot of amens this morning. The kingdom value is full of dependence on God, full submission to the king. It means we open up our lives, every area of our lives, including our finances, including our relationships, including our will. I think that's probably the hardest thing for us sometimes is to submit our will, surrender our will, and have the Lord override that with his will, which in any case is better. So I don't know why we find ourselves always fighting with the Lord. Okay, we need to die to self. The world says, do it yourself. Jesus says, humble yourself first and let me do it through you. Number two, blessed are those who mourn. This is also not just talking about people who mourn or who are in bereavement. So you mourn a loss of a person or a loved one or a family member. It actually talks about those who mourn and have godly sorrow over the loss that sin has created in our lives. You know, when there is true repentance, we are actually deeply sorrowful about our previous life. We are sorrowful about allowing the enemy to come in and kill, steal, and destroy, and not grabbing for the kingdom the way that Jesus is extending the hand for the kingdom to be grabbed. And Jesus is saying that when you're actually in that place of mourning, in that place of sorrow, and recognizing spiritually how much you need me, that I will actually come in and comfort, and I will come in and restore, and I will come in and heal. But there is a place where we actually have to realize who we were without him. We have to mourn and have godly sorrow over what this world is doing to people and over sin and the consequences of sin. Because then the Bible says, then we will receive his comfort and we will receive the true joy of heaven. Like it says in Isaiah that the Bible says that we can receive the joy for mourning. Beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Blessed are those who mourn. Number three, blessed are the meek. This scripture actually talks about the gentle, but I love in many of the other translations, it said, blessed are the meek. Meek, what is meek? Meek is not weak. Sometimes we think meekness is a characteristic that is for weak people. Maybe they're not as strong. But Jesus was the most meek man, the meekest man who ever lived. And what is meekness? It is mildness of disposition. It is a gentleness of spirit. Strength under control. How powerful is that? Meekness is strength under control. And this attitude actually means that we accept how the Lord is actually dealing with us. We accept God's will for our lives. And we're not constantly in a place where we are fighting Him. And we're trying to push back. And we're trying to negotiate with the Lord. And we're trying to tell Him how to run His kingdom. It's a mildness of disposition. It's gentleness. Okay? It's not focused on myself. It's focused on Him. Where the world tells us to be powerful, to have impact and have influence, Jesus is saying, humble yourself and be meek. Because that is the blessed life. 
And with every one of these Beatitudes, when he explains the kingdom value that is an opposite of the worldly value, he also gives the promise. Have you noticed? Each one of them has a promise. The meek will inherit the earth. I actually believe, and a lot of scholars also say, that it means that we will inherit the millennial kingdom when Jesus comes back and we will rule and reign with him forever. Some of these promises we will only see in eternity. But is it worth it for us to live our lives in this way? That is the question we're asking ourselves this morning. Number four, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It means those of us who actually have a spiritual appetite for the things of God. You know, I can so quickly tell when someone comes to see me, you know, for prayer and for advice from the word, I can tell who's hungry for the Lord and who is just looking for a justification for the way that they want to live. That is an opposite contradiction to the word of God. The Bible actually calls us to be hungry, to be thirsty for him. Okay, And there is a blessing promise attached to that. A spiritual appetite, it means to crave, to seek with eager desire the things of God. Because what we seek, we will find. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It says, those who seek the kingdom first, all these other things will be given to them. Okay, We can actually stop pursuing material possessions, what we need to eat, what we need And we will talk about that in the next one in Matthew 6. Because Jesus said, if you just first seek the kingdom, all these other things will be added unto you. But sometimes we get ourselves again back in the opposite rhythm of the world where we try and get these things for ourselves. And it goes back to number one, the poor in spirit who doesn't depend on themselves, but they depend on the king. In a worldly value that says, You can be satisfied without righteousness, without right standing with God. The kingdom value is when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. You will be satisfied by the king. You will live a life of contentment that the world will never, ever give. And you will continue to chase and chase and chase and chase, but you will never find it. Because the answer is... We need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Number five, blessed are the merciful. I love this. Mercy means what? To have mercy. To have compassion. To have empathy. The Greek word actually translates to have an active compassion. The kingdom value, therefore, is kindness, compassion, sympathetic, sensitive, that combines action to my feeling. And when we understand the type of mercy that Jesus had for us, we can extend that mercy to other people. Where the world says judge people by their outer actions, Jesus says have mercy because you don't know what's going on in their heart. But I do. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We all desperately need the mercy of the king. Amen. Freely we have received, freely we give. Number six, okay, I need to move. The pure in heart. What does the pure in heart actually mean? The kingdom value that Jesus is talking about, what is going on inside of your heart? What is going, inside in your, going on inside of your mind? 
the Jewish audience that he spoke to in that time, remember they came from the Mosaic law where they had to do cleaning rituals. They had to do all these external things to cleanse themselves, to purify themselves. And Jesus is saying, it's not about anything you do on the external that can cleanse you. It's about accepting the blood of Jesus Christ that can actually wash you clean from the inside. So it's receiving that gift of righteousness and purity and forgiveness of sins. But then it is setting your mind to live constantly in that place of purity. Checking what I watch, checking what I do, checking what I speak, checking what I engage in. Because what is the worldly value? The worldly value is they want to defile you. They want to mess around with your purity because then you can actually not see God. Because that is the promise. When we live with a pure heart, we will see God. The purer we become, the closer we can get to the Lord in his presence. Number seven, blessed are the peacemakers. And Jesus again prioritizes here that we have all received the ministry of reconciliation. We are actually called to be peacemakers, to establish peace, to establish that thing of relationships and reconciliation between people because that is the kingdom mandate on all of us. All the spiritual gifts, all the mandates of the kingdom goes back to this place of reconciliation between God and man. And you and I are actually called not to engage with the world in terms of keeping conflict going, of retaliating, okay, of stirring up fights, we're actually called to be peacemakers. And within that, we can go much deeper into that. We're not saying don't have healthy, biblical, beautiful confrontation, don't deal with things. But we're saying our end result is peace. And sometimes, sometimes, God is going to call us to give up our rights. And that's the bit we don't always like. Sometimes it's not about who is right or who is wrong. It's about, can I, can I get to a place of peace? Can I get to a place of unity? Because where there is unity, the Lord commands his blessing. A peacemaker is willing to give up his perceived rights and not go with the flow of the world, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. God calls us in the kingdom to tear down walls that divide us and to resolve conflict. Number eight, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And did you notice the Lord actually takes three verses to explain this one? And I feel like they've gone on, they've grown in terms of intensity. It started with literally the poor in spirit, recognizing we're nothing without him. And it ends with the fact that if you are my followers, you will be persecuted. You will be persecuted. Not everyone will be persecuted to the point of death. But you may be persecuted just because you are a believer in terms of what people say about you. Some people, are Christians, are persecuted through lying, through false accusation, you know, through judgment, through different things. But Jesus says, be glad when you are persecuted. Listen to this scripture. In the message, in verse 10, it says, you are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. If you are a follower of Jesus, it will provoke persecution from people. Because the Bible says here, persecution will drive you deeper into God's kingdom. 
Okay, so when people tell you you are this and this and that because you follow Jesus, well, bless you, brother, I am going deeper into the kingdom. It says, not only that, count yourselves blessed. Everyone say blessed. Every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. Because what it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. This is what it says. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. Okay. And I know we're making fun of it. The reality is there's actually a lot of Christians today, right now, dying because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They are literally dying because of what they believe. You can ask Jock all about it. He works with them every day. And Jesus is saying, you are blessed when you are being persecuted, no matter what level of persecution you go through. Because the same way that they did it with the prophets and the same way they did it to Jesus himself, they will do it to you. Okay, and so we see that with all of these statements, Jesus is actually raising a high bar of kingdom living, isn't he? He's saying that these are the kingdom values I want you to live by. Because why? The Bible answers it in verse 12 and 13. Because he's calling us to be the salt. We live by kingdom values so that we can influence the world with the kingdom. What is the purpose of salt? Salt creates a thirst for more. Isn't that awesome? Salt preserves. Salt gives flavor. In the message translation, it says that we are here to be salt flavoring to the God flavors of the earth. We are called through the way that we live by these values of the kingdom that we live by to bring out the God flavors of the earth. Who's ever watched MasterChef Australia? Okay, I love the show. Johannes is wondering, when is my cooking going to resemble my love for the show? Um, <laughs> But you know, what they, you know what they always say when they go through those challenges and they cook these incredible dishes? What is it that they are judged upon? The, the presentation, the plating can be beautiful. Okay, the lamb and the steak can look great. But if it doesn't have flavor, they go into elimination. If it doesn't have flavor, when we live by these kingdom values, we will release unbelievable God flavors into the earth. And I believe the Lord is asking him this morning, what is the flavor that we are leaving in this world around us? Do we leave a bitter taste or do we leave people hungry and thirsty for more? Because that is what we are called to be church. Number two, God calls us to be the light. When we live by these values, we will actually shine light in the darkness. We will actually help people to see the path because it is the narrow path. Have you noticed? It's not, the, it's not the wide path. It's not the easy path. It's not the slipstream. It is the upstream. It is going against the curve. It's going against. There's an event. There's opdraande. Okay? But Jesus is saying, I am the wind behind you. My Holy Spirit is the one that when he breathes on you, he will be your heavenly helper. So church, I don't actually believe that this is an impossible 
list of values for us to live by. But I actually want to bring it back as, as we close the service this morning. I want to bring it back to the thing of we have to make a decision. That is the thing that we have to focus on. And the team can just, we're going to end off now. Each of these Beatitudes describes the essential characteristics and values of kingdom citizens. Okay, if we ask ourselves the question this morning, do we actually want to see his kingdom established in this city? Because it will not come from other disciples, it will come from us. And we are the ones that will have to then make that decision, Lord. I actually want to make a decision to fully commit myself to your Lordship. I want to actually make a decision to fully surrender my life to you so that your Holy Spirit can work through me, develop these values inside of me because I want to build my life on a firm foundation. And church, I don't know about you, but these promises are all amazing, but all I want to hear from Jesus when he comes back or when I go before he comes. I've just decided and determined in my heart, the only thing I want to hear is well done, good and faithful servant. Rewards are amazing, but I want more than anything in this life for him to be pleased. I want him to look at me and say, well done, you were faithful. Because I know he's been faithful to me. And so I want you to just close your eyes this morning. As we end off, I want to pray for some folks. The question this morning is, what type of values do we want to build our lives upon? Do we want to live a blessed life on this earth? Do we want to be content and fulfilled? Do we want to see the kingdom established so that our children can experience the kingdom of God in a way that we never had? Do we want to set them up and raise them up so that when Jesus comes back, they are ready? Jesus wouldn't have given us this if it wasn't, to pos if it wasn't possible to live according to these values. We are called to be salt. We are called to be light. We are called to bring out the God flavors in this earth. This is our mandate. That's what He is calling us to. And the reality is, this world will never ever satisfy us. You can try... You can go for it, but the truth is it won't. The only thing that will satisfy us is Jesus. And so this morning, I want to pray for two groups of people. And the first group is, if you've never actually made a decision, and remember, we're speaking about repentance. We're speaking about, I've actually made a decision. I have decided, I don't want this life I'm living anymore. I don't want to see the destruction of sin in my life the way I'm seeing it anymore. When you actually get to that place where the Bible says, I'm at the end of my rope. Sometimes we need to get to the end 
of our rope to understand our desperateness for the king because let me tell you something this morning church if you're not going to be desperate for him you're not going to experience the power of salvation in your life i talk to many christians and when i talk to them about this they've never actually made this decision and salvation is not a quick little prayer we pray in church salvation repentance is an actual decision i am making to turn completely from the life that I've lived in the world. It means I'm leaving everything behind. I'm leaving behind every single habit that is tearing me and holding me back. I'm leaving behind people if they are not going to contribute to my kingdom living in the future. I'm leaving anything behind of this world that will triple me from fulfilling my calling and my purpose in life. So I don't want you to raise your hand because this is emotional and beautiful. I want you to only raise your hand this morning because I really want to pray for you. And I'll pray for you after the service because Johannes and I want to bless you with a gift. But I want to ask you to really, really think about it. It's a decision that will cost you in every area of your life. And that's why the Bible says many people walked away from Jesus. They weren't willing to give up anything that would stand in the place of Lordship of the King. Jesus wants every area of your life because He loves you. He's bought you with a price. His blood was shed on that cross for you because He wants to spend eternity with you. And all He says is, come back home. Mark die besluit. Ek wacht vir jou. I am waiting for you. So I want to ask this morning if there's anyone here and you've realized I've actually never made that decision. I may have prayed a prayer, but I've never made the decision to walk away from an old life. I want to ask you to be courageous and just raise your hand because I want to pray for you after the service. We won't call you out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. But I can tell you now, I can testify, it's the best decision you will ever make. Let me tell you, when you sign up for the adventure with Jesus, <laughs> there's nothing that compares to it. If you didn't feel the courage to raise your hand this morning, I want to ask you to really go and pray about it. And to come and chat to me and Johannes afterwards, if there's anyone here that wants us to pray with them. And the second group of people, just as our eyes are closed, I want you to focus on the Lord right now. If you are here this morning and you are saying, actually, I think in certain areas of my life, I feel like worldly values are actually driving me in some point or in some degree. And you realize that actually, there's an area that I need the Lord to come and help me to live by His kingdom values instead. I feel like there's people here this morning that just needs a new spirit of boldness to live with a kingdom value instead of a worldly value. And to have that boldness, to have that fire, that kingdom on the inside that is stronger than the opposition from the world. Because the world will come for you. The enemy of your soul will wage war against you. But Jesus is saying, trust me, humble yourself, 
Lower yourself so that I can work through you, so that my light can shine through you, so that my kingdom can be established through you. If there is anyone here this morning and my hand is up, I want you to just raise your hand. And I want to pray for us this morning, for the Holy Spirit to come and strengthen us, to come and equip us this morning to raise our bar of our Christianity, to raise our bar of kingdom commitment and kingdom living so that we can see the difference in our nation, so that we can see the difference in our cities, in our homes and in our schools. Lord Jesus, you see every hand this morning. Lord, and I thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. And Lord, that you have called us to live with a kingdom value set, Lord, because when we live by kingdom values, it will actually determine the course of our life. It will determine our actions. It will determine how we influence a broken world around us. So Holy Spirit, I just ask for a fresh anointing on every one of your children this morning. Lord, I pray for a new spirit of boldness to be released in this place. Lord, I pray that you will ignite a new fire in our hearts this morning to go and live beyond committed lives for the kingdom of God. Lord, that you would help us to be the salt, Lord, to bring out the God flavors in this world. That you would help us to be the light, to bring out the God colors in this world. We want to see your kingdom established. And I want to pray a blessing over every person in this room, over every family, every business. Thank you, Lord, that every business in this room, Lord, will have a kingdom impact, kingdom influence, Lord. That we will see blessing upon blessing upon blessing because we have committed our lives. We have committed all that we are to the King of Kings. Thank you, Jesus, just for your strength. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace that will enable us, Lord, that will empower us to live this way. May each of these be attitudes, be our attitudes, Lord. We bless your name and we love you this morning. And everyone said, Amen.